Welcome, everybody, into another episode of the Dan Podcast with your hosts, Marcus Greaves and Angie Machado. Angie, the Beavers finally got a blowout win, which is exactly what we wanted to see. It's been <laughs> quite some time since we've seen that. Uh, just give us your thoughts on the offense and defense and how they performed. Gosh, I, I haven't seen the Oregon State football team play that well in the first half. You know, if I'm, if it was a definite tale of two halves, and that first half was, was fun to watch. I mean, gosh, if you're a football fan and you're an Oregon State fan, there, there isn't, it doesn't get much better than that. It was 41-7 at the half. The offense was clicking. We saw Art Pierce with some big runs. We saw Jermar Jefferson have a breakout performance. The defense was able to, to hold them. Second half was a little different. You know, I mean, obviously, Oregon State went with the second-string offense right out of the gate in uh, the third quarter. Uh, the Beavers struggled, you know, to, to keep drives going, but um, and the defense struggled. I, I still am super, super concerned about that defensive line, but um, all in all, I, you know, a win is a win, and I think Oregon State needs to uh, kind of be excited that um, they were able to come out and do so in a pretty definitive fashion. What did you think, Marcus? Yeah, well, offensively, I just thought, you know, it's nice to see that they keep they have the rhythm still going because, you know, as we've seen in the past couple of seasons, the offense has been the, the main problem for this Oregon State team. But now, you know, the roles are reversed. The offense looks great. And they, you know, they looked great against Ohio State. They looked great against Southern Utah. Like you said, the defense is still what I'm concerned about. I don't think the defensive backs played terrible. I thought they did pretty good. The linebackers, I thought, actually had a pretty good game. But the defensive line, you know, when you play a team like Southern Utah and that's in the big sky, that's when that's a time where your defensive line should just be dominating, right? You should be getting you know, maybe three sacks at least in that game because not only do you have the better athletes, you know, you have <laughs> the better athletes, right? So it's <laughs> like, you know, you, you want to see that and the, you want to see them just dominate. And we've, you know, we didn't see that, unfortunately. But, you know, overall, I thought Oregon State in the first half, that was a great half. After watching that first half offensively, offensively and defensively, you know, I really think that they could they could – come out with some wins at least in the conference I think they can maybe beat Cal they can definitely beat Arizona that's you know that's no question to me I just think it's whatever team shows up but the second half like you said was just you know it it was really boring to watch unfortunately I know yeah they had their second string guys in I get it and I understand why coach Smith did it you know you you want to get depth and that's the way to do it And, and but you know, you just like, I just want to see Oregon State put up like 67 points. Like, I want to see him blow them out like 67 to 21. That's all I wanted to see. But that didn't happen. But they at least looked good in the first half. So that makes me feel a lot better. Um, you know, I just, like you said, Angie, I just wish the defensive line would at least step up somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that, that part's disturbing. Now, one, you know, one area that I think we do have to kind of keep in kind of the back of our minds is the fact that this was a very plain, Playing defense. So after the game, I asked Key Wetzel about, you know, how you know if this was a vanilla or if they open up the playbook at all. And, you know, he said, no, this was about as plain as it gets. They ran six plays and that's what they stuck with because it was working for them. So no need to, you know, blow open the playbook, but it would have been nice to see, you know, some more pressure, more sacks. Um, and, you know, just bringing that, you know, there were several times that they hurried the quarterback, but they weren't able to bring him down. And I think Oregon State fans were really hoping to see, you know, some some dominating pressure from, from the defensive front. Yeah, but I think, it, you know, even though we didn't see the sacks, I think, you know, and obviously listeners can can comment back on this, but I think that they were pretty happy with the performance because I was really surprised with the turnout, at least with the crowd, because, the, you know, I, I've been, obviously, when I played 
you know, sometimes it was full, sometimes it wasn't. And when it's not full, it's probably the worst feeling possible. I'm going to be honest. No, I, I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, I really didn't think we'd see more than 20,000 people there. Um, I thought it might have that feeling of the Nickel State game several years ago that was um, very poorly attended. But pulling in, I mean, the tailgates were going, um, crowd was, was into it. Really impressed that the students had that strong of a turnout with classes not starting for another couple weeks. Mm-hmm. So, no, I thought the atmosphere, especially in that first half, was, was really good. Yeah, and, you know, some positive takeaways. Let's take a second. Jamar Jefferson, my goodness. And I, Holy you know, cow. I was – I was preaching as soon as he committed to Oregon State that, you know, he was he was super good. Coach Petrie said that he's probably one of the best guys he's seen in a long time, if not ever. And the only thing I think he needed to work on was his breakaway speed. But, you know, just think about if he had breakaway speed like AP, that kid is going to that kid's winning freshman of the year in the country because completely. Yeah, he's he's an absolute freak. He has great vision. He has great moves. He gave a little hesitation move on the sideline when I think he scored like a 35 or 34 yard touchdown and you know that's a move that you do if you're like a senior (laughs) right like the little hesitation step back looks kind of like Reggie Bush would do I thought it was great you know I loved watching it and he's someone I'm gonna I'm gonna say is probably if not one of the best players on the team easily but I think him and AP if AP could stay healthy and obviously if both of them can stay healthy you know that's that might be arguably the best running back duo in the conference and I you know I don't think many people could really argue with that because no, I don't either. You no, see the production that they have, the it's crazy. Right now, both of them uh, in rushing yards after two games, so that's pretty impressive. And you know, I nothing against you know. I mean, I don't want to take away from Jamar. He had a great game, but you know, besides him on the offensive side of the ball, you know who I was most impressed with? Who? Two areas: the offensive line seriously yeah. has improved like a ton, and how about the receivers and their blocking? I, you know, I, that's one thing receivers can sometimes be the prima donnas who just want to catch balls, but I was blown. I mean, Isaiah Hodgins and and Timmy Hernandez and and these guys were, they were downfield looking to, to make blocks and um, to see that and the toughness that they have kind of gotten over the past six months, huge impression on me. And I like the chip that they have on their shoulder, especially in the blocking, because, you know, anyone can, can talk smack. And, you know, when you catch like a 10 yard ball and, you break a couple tackles and run down the sideline. Anyone can do that, right? But it's the fact that they have this competitive edge now. It's They have a chip on their shoulder that if someone's downfield and they're not wearing their colors, they're going to go hit them, right? And they're going to yeah, they're gonna yeah. get in their face and they're going to talk trash, which is, as a if you see that from your wide receivers, you know, if I was a head coach, if I was Coach Smith, I would love that. I would love every second of that. And I think, you know, that's kind of the mentality that this Oregon State team has now is we're not going to, you know, it doesn't matter who we're playing. Because even in the Ohio State game, we've seen that. And AP yeah, couldn't yeah. have broke those long runs without blocking downfield from either linemen or uh, receivers. And so now that we see that, you see that they have that kind of competitive edge. And, you know, they just have some swag to them now, right? It's It looks like they're having fun and it's, you know, they're ready. They want to win. It's not like we're just coming out here not to get blown out. Yeah. And and you you brought this up when we were talking earlier about Isaiah Hodgins, and it was one of the big runs um, where he was across the field, ran completely opposite side of the field, and just laid a guy out to make a block. And right. we wouldn't have thought that last season. Yeah. All. Yeah. And, yeah. And if it was, you know, and even though it's against Southern Utah, right? Like if we, like we were saying, um, if it was, you know, last year against Portland State. You, you're right. You wouldn't see Isaiah Hodgins run across the field just to hit a guy who, you know, might not even make the tackle. Right. Yeah. But 
that's just the mentality that they have. It's a winner's mentality, and that's when you see teams like you know Washington. That's how Washington took the next step. That's how uh, U of O took the next step is because they had guys blocking downfield and they have guys giving extra effort. You know, even when maybe you know that extra effort isn't going to impact the the play or the game, but you see that, and that's what exactly what you want to see from guys like that. So exactly. I was super impressed offensively, defensively. I thought that you know I I don't think the defense is bad. I just think the defense has some more growing to do, and I think they will grow with time. But you know, it's just the defensive line that keeps stressing me out. You know, even though I'm not a coach and I'm not playing anymore, defensive line is kind of keeping me up at night. You know, I, I think that it goes back to a couple things with the defense. First of all, is depth or lack thereof. You know, this is a pretty young defense, especially with all the true freshmen playing, and they they truly lack across the board a really good two deep depth depth there on the on the defensive side of the ball. Second of all, when you look at, you know, every Sunday after a football game, we look at and Beaver Blitz, we take a look at all the defensive stats. This week, it was really interesting because you, we look at our MVPs. The defensive line MVP, Isaac Hodgins, true freshman. Linebacker MVP, Isaiah Tufaga, true freshman. And defensive back MVP, Sean Wilson, redshirt freshman. That is a really young group of guys to be uh, leading your defense. Yeah, and that's just, you know, that's when you look at it, it just makes you feel so much better for the future. So we know this season was about, you know, building and, you know, just taking the next step in the program. But when you see guys like that who have such an impact and they're young, that's just, you know, if I'm an Oregon State fan, I'm feeling really good about next season, the season after, because frankly, I don't know it with the last staff if we really, if we really saw that, right? So, I think the biggest difference with this coaching staff is they're going to play the best player. It doesn't matter how old you are. doesn't matter where you're from, who recruited you. They're going to play the best player, and that's how you take the next step in the program. And that's, you know, realistically, that's how it should be anywhere around the country. It just hasn't seemed like that at Oregon State for quite some time. It's been more of, you know, put out the seniors, let the seniors go out with a bang. You know, if the seniors not, you know, here's a great example that I like to use. I would say AP outperformed me obviously because he got you know he was second string and I wasn't behind all and so I had to swallow that and say okay well how how else am I gonna you know impact this team and how else can I help him right so for me it was more kick return punt return uh you know getting the extra block whatever it was and if at times if they're if they called my number to get in right I got in I knew exactly what I had to do but that's what I'm talking about like you know they're the coach Smith and his staff are playing the better players. And that's what you need to do. You know, no matter yeah, how I mean, you look at that yeah. defense. I mean, Matthew Tago got in, John McCartan got in, um, you know, there's several of these two freshmen and, and redshirt freshmen that Justin Gardner, Jeffrey Manning, Boku Watson, Caleb Hayes. Um, that's a lot of really young guys, you know, then to compliment Kalani Vakamelalo or a Jonathan Willis. But um, this is not a veteran defensive group by any stretch of the imagination and they just have time you know they just have a ways to go and to grow but it's it's looking good and angie i wanted to ask you this because this was some breaking news we had it sounds like oregon state got a new linebacker or defensive lineman well he's he's like kind of a hybrid he's a defensive end um but he's going to be that rush type end um yeah so Marcus and I actually are a day later than normal with the damn podcast, but it worked out because we can talk now about Addison Gums. He is he was a four star defensive end at a stellar prep in the Bay Area, class of twenty seventeen, um, signed with Oklahoma, played four games as a true freshman for the Sooners, 
and just actually tore his ACL a week ago and then announced that he was going to be transferring. So he is coming back to the West Coast um, and joining Oregon State. Um, he is in the student directory today. I had actually heard about this on Saturday, so we've been talking about it a little bit in the lodge. Um, but it looks to be official um, with him in the directory and uh, just a big time. You know, this Jonathan Smith and his staff, they're going out and uh, it's going big time now between those two guys that transferred last week from Nebraska and with Avery Roberts and Tristan Gebbia. Now you have a defensive lineman coming in. Obviously, he sits out this year, but uh, he will be in the mix next year. And, you know, Stellar Prep, he, he was a teammate with um, – Deshaun Wilson, current Beaver cornerback, and Addison's dad is actually the high school coach. So it's always good when you can get a high school high school player. He played on TMP Elite, so um, lots of connections there with the Beavers. Yeah, you know what's the craziest thing is you just see that there's, you know, just a, there's just a difference between people who want to come to Oregon State now, right? With this last staff, we weren't seeing that, right? There was yeah, no yeah. chance we were going to get people from Nebraska, people from Oklahoma, because those are big-time programs, right? And you I want mean, that. This is a kid who played in the Army All-American Bowl. He played in the opening finals. Um, you know, this is these are the big-time guys. You know, this is um, yeah, and these, a and big he hit. played right away, didn't he, when he got to Oklahoma? He did. He played in four games as a true freshman. Right, and Eight see tackles. Um, yeah. See, that's huge when you get someone that young and that ready to go so come next year you look at the defense you have all those young guys coming back plus him plus uh i can't even remember his name the guy the transfer linebacker from nebraska avery roberts so you're looking and you're like wow you know in a year or two this defense is going to be solid right it's going to yeah. be an oregon state defense that maybe we're used to seeing with all the talent and these guys who end up going to the league and stuff like that like that's what you want to see and that's you know this is jonathan smith with in less than a year of being head coach. Yeah. You can see yeah. this turnaround. So when I tell fans and I tell listeners, it just takes time because no one's going to walk in and win you 10 games. You know, that's, this is the stuff I want to, you know, this is stuff I'm talking about. You see this kind of stuff and it just makes it, you know, it makes you feel better, right? Like I have a good feeling about Oregon state football now. And I'm, I can even say when I played and most of the players who I played with can can relate. We didn't have a very good feeling, right? So once we left, and especially once I left, I was like, ooh, I don't know. Like, I don't know how this is going to go, right? But now you see it, you're like, wow, this is looking good. Like, this team has an offense, has a defense, has young guys contributing, young guys stepping up, and being arguably some of the best players on the team. And so that's what you want to see. And then you add those those pieces of, you know, some – I mean, he's listed at 6'3", 253, Addison Gomes is. So you add some guys that are, you know, ready to go and and size wise and can just those pieces those missing pieces whether it be quarterback or a defensive defensive end um that give the beavers kind of that extra edge yeah and i'm just excited to see it because you know i thought they i think the staff is doing a great job not only with the team because really like you know you look at it you compare we and i know plenty of people have compared this but you compare corvallis to a place like even tucson right where university of arizona is University of Arizona has Khalil Tate. I get that. But when you look at front, you know, you look at it now, athlete to athlete, <laughs> I think Oregon State might have some better athletes than University of Arizona, right? And Coach Smith, and that's what I said as soon as Coach Smith got hired, is that he knows Corvallis and he knows how to get people to Corvallis. That was the well, same thing know, with I Coach Riley. I saw on Twitter, Riley. and I haven't verified this, but I just saw it. Some Arizona fan actually retweeted a tweet or and commented and said, 
dang, this hurts because we have Gums' brother on our on our squad, and this is a position of need for the Wildcats, and we can't even get him to, to sniff at Arizona. Right, and so now you, like, everyone listening, you guys have to understand, like, this is the step that we're talking about. Like, it's step by step by step. It's the offense was bad. Okay, he took the next step. Now the offense looks pretty dang good. The defense, you know, was okay last season and Ohio State did put 77 on you but you see you see little sparks of it and so it's just step by step by step everything is you know is shifting how it should and now you're getting these big time transfers you're getting these you know big time players who are eventually going to commit great example Jamar Jefferson that's a coach Smith guy right there right you had you know you have your 18 year old putting up 230 plus yards and four touchdowns in his home debut did you hear how you know I mean I, I, we covered his recruitment, um, you know, as far as covering and, and hearing about his official visit and, and in-home visit. But Jonathan Smith yesterday was asked about him and about recruiting him, and they got the heads up from him from T.J. Hushmanzada, who is a coach down at Long Beach Poly, so plays in the same, same division. And, and uh, T.J. Hushmanzada called Coach Smith and, you know, said, hey, you got to take a look at this kid. He's the real deal. See, Those kind of connections exactly. are huge, right? You know, I mean, so like Jonathan said, he goes, if TJ tells me something, I'm going, I'm going to believe him. And, and they followed up. And yeah, the kid had offers, you know, USC came knocking at the last minute. Coach Smith actually said that when they went for the in-home visit, uh, Jamar's mom has, you know, degrees on the wall from USC, huge USC fan. But, you know, Jamar had that, um, you know, the wherewithal to be like, no, you guys have been with me all along. I'm, I'm coming to, to do something up there. So um, kind of a fun story, but those kind of connections with former players that, that also know Corvallis and, and know what it takes to be, that's, it's huge. Yeah, you just look at it now, and, you know, like I was saying before we get to the damn questions, I just feel so much better about this team and this staff. And I think just another example is you look at it from a, 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 full, a former player standpoint, right? So I played for Coach Riley, and I played for Coach Anderson. So when I was done playing for Coach Riley, right, and Coach Anderson came in, Anytime I ever seen Coach Riley, and you know I didn't see him for a couple of years because he's at Nebraska. The first moment I seen him when he get when he got back to Corvallis, you know he gave me a hug. He asked me how life was. We didn't even talk football for the you know for the thirty minutes that I got to talk to him. He just asked me how I was doing and if you know I got my degree stuff like that, whatever it is. And then he welcomed me back with open arms, right? And then I walked in. I obviously wanted to introduce myself to Coach Smith and stuff like that. And I did all that. Introduced myself to all the coaches that I didn't meet before. And they welcome open arms like, yeah, man, like, okay, yeah, you're media, who cares? Like, you're, you were one of us, so we understand, right? And we understand, mm-hmm. like, there's boundaries and all that, but we just got, we just got to, you know, I just got to sit down and talk to them, and, you know, they really listen to former players like that. Compared to this last staff, when I would show up to practice, they're like, whoa, hold on, man, like, you can't come in here, or hold on, man, like, you can't you're do media. this. You yeah, you're media, and I was like, man, I gave you guys two ACLs, what more do you want from me? Right. So it's just you look at it like that. And so when you hear something like TJ Hushmanzada calling Coach Smith saying, yo, go check out this guy because he's good and he actually listens. That's huge. Those are the connections that you want. And that just makes, you know, that's Oregon State right there, Angie. And you can say it, you know, more than me because you've been around Oregon State longer than I have. But that sounds like Oregon State. Well, and, and, you know, Coach Smith, you know, I I know several ex-player, former players, and they were all welcomed, um, invited to this last game, the Southern Utah game. They 
personal invites from Coach Smith to come down and, and hang out. They had pregame tailgate kind of thing for them. And, um, you know, I heard several former players were in attendance there to see. And that was that did not happen last yeah. year, the last couple of years. Um, so, exactly. It, it's, it's that family. It's that, um, you know, the, granted, I mean, it might not translate this year to wins and losses, but it is what Oregon State football is all about, is getting those former players. We thought Matt Moore hanging out again. Um, we've seen him several times just over the past couple of weeks, hanging out with his, you know, kids. Um, and I was going to say, I've never, I've practice. never seen Matt Moore on campus at all. Oh, he we was, went, he, was we, he was there Saturday. Yeah, when I was there, I I would never see him. Yeah, yeah. So that's huge. That's nice to see, um, Angie. I think it's time for some damn questions. Damn questions is brought to you by Body of Health Chiropractic and Wellness Center. Dr. Jason Young has been the chiropractor for Oregon State Athletics since 2011. Okay, so I'm going to start, Marcus, with a damn question. This is from the Lodge of Beaver Blitz. We have here for the Beavers. He has a couple here, but this is an interesting one. Um, Coaching-wise, we have an awesome staff. How do we keep them from getting pilfered or moving on, like Lindgren, Bray, Tibbs, Coach Petrie, Michael Check, et cetera? We need to keep those guys here for three to four years if possible. Oh, I think they can. You know, it's obviously a coach, the coach's decision, the individual coach. But I think Coach Smith brought them here because he believes that they want to be here and they're going to stay, right? And I understand, you know, if, say, Coach Linger gets offered to be offensive coordinator at Ohio State, you know, then people are going to come knocking on his door. Or if Coach Smith flips it and wins 10 games next season, people are going to come knocking on his door wanting, obviously, him to be a part of a, you know, a, a powerhouse team maybe. But I think that's the reason why Coach Smith got them because he has that, you know, low ego, high output, right? Yeah, that kind yeah. of motto he had. And I, you know, after talking to these guys, some of them came from, you know, Colorado, wherever they came from, but they wanted to be at Oregon State because Oregon State, at one point, it was a powerhouse team, right? Yeah. And yeah. there's n- multiple years that Oregon State was, you know, arguably the best team in the Pac 12, you know, at least the top three team in the Pac 12, right? And, and, so, and some of these guys, you know, get to just, I mean, I can see if a defensive coordinator job opens up for Coach Bray, yes, I, I see him going. Yeah. But, um, a lot of these guys understand, too, just, A, this is kind of a sleeping giant. If they can get Oregon State winning again and just the quality of life they have. They don't have to – like when they're in L.A. and they're commuting an hour or two every single day back and forth to work, They these guys are close. Their kids are at camp or at, on, at practice running around. They're mm-hmm. able to see their wives and, and kids, um, even if it's just for dinner at the Valley Center. But everything's close. Everything's there, and they can have a family life along with being a football coach. Yeah, and another – Another thing to look at just from, you know, the coach's standpoint is there's a lot less pressure at Oregon State compared if you go to, you know, a like Oh, like USC right now? Right. Holy. Exactly. And so like yeah. that whole staff right now is is getting exposed. Fire. Yeah, and they're on fire right now because they're not winning. And so at Oregon State you you know, you got to build something, you get job security, not only job security but you know, you can build a winning program and then you're one of the top coordinators or a top head coach because the flip that they made. And I think yep. that would make the resume a lot better. You know, maybe, you know, I have no doubt in my mind that Coach Bray is going to be a defensive coordinator one day, maybe even a head coach. But you see that, right? He he likes the job security. He likes, you know, that it's a challenge. And I think that's what a lot of the coaches like is that it's such a challenge that, you know, to get Oregon State back on top to these 10-win seasons, that when it finally does happen, you know, they're going to be at the top and then, you know, they're not going to have, not going to be in the hot seat, really. Yeah. Um, Angie, I have one. We have been asked this, I want, I think, three times or three weeks now, and I feel bad because I just never get to it. This is from Connor 
Taggart. He said, question, Marcus, you have mentioned a few times of coaches playing one QB in the preseason, even though they know they'll play a different one in conference. Where has this happened before? I just know that it's happened uh, in college football over the past couple seasons. I can't really pinpoint an exact team, but other than... Well, you know what happened at Fresno State. Yeah, other than Fresno State, because, you know, Fresno State played... I think they played UW. No, they played, yeah, so they played like Alabama. They played UW. So those are two of, you know, and granted at the time, those two teams went to the college football playoffs at the end of the year. So that's not only some of the best teams, but that's some of the best defenses who are going to lay vicious hits and vicious sacks with great defensive lines on your quarterback. And so Fresno State was smart. They said, okay, we're going to start this guy for these first three games. And then come conference time, we're going to start Marcus McMarion because we think he's the guy. And so that's the best example I could really give because when you really go back and look at it, that to me, that's exactly what they did. And so, uh, I mean, and it makes sense. I have one here from um, SS Rams. He says, can we get an update on Landry Payne's appeal for that six year? Um, Still no update. Uh, Coach Smith was asked about that yesterday. Um, and no update yet. And the NC2A is not known to be a quick moving <laughs> entity, and obviously they are taking their sweet time on this one. But um, we will definitely have you covered as soon as we know um, what's what's the latest on that. Um, also along those lines, we have a question about the status of AP. He is out um, for um, right now, it looks like four weeks, which will take him to the bye week. So that will give him five to uh, – recover that elbow that uh, he injured this last Saturday. Yeah. And you know, it's obviously it's, it sucks to have AP out, but at the same time, I'm not too worried. I'm just focused on getting AP back and healthy, healthy, but I'm feeling good with Jamar Jefferson, you know? Okay. But so let me, let me tell you this though. This is what got me thinking earlier today about the situation. Okay. So he played in two games. Okay. He sits out for, you know, till the bye week So that would get him back for Cal potentially, but what about if he if they could hold him out, play him the last two games, he could still redshirt. He could. That would be that'd be a smart strategy, you know. And I don't want to say this season is a lost cause because it's certainly not. Because they're I think no. they're a lot better than a lot of us really expected them to be. But you know, if BJ Baylor can produce at running back, or maybe Christian Wallace steps up and you Case know Case Rogers, Case Rogers, somebody steps up, right? then there's no point bringing AP back, right, until maybe your last two weeks. And even then, you know, if you can get some, you know, if you can get some wins, then I think that they do bring him back just because, you know, you might put the icing on the cake. Or it can go the other way around. You know, you get some wins, you're already winning, might as well, you know, redshirt him and and give him two more seasons. But, you know, it's I think it's an interesting situation. I guess it yeah. kind of just depends on how the how the season goes and how BJ Baylor or Christian Wallace or Case Rogers does. Um, yeah, you know, as a backup, but for sure Jefferson's going to be your main go to guy now at running back. But uh, you know, I don't think Oregon State's too worried about it, honestly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, get him back as soon as you can. But um, okay, so Marcus, what are this is from? Sorry, Quasimodo fourteen. Marcus, what are your concerns moving forward with the defense? Zero sacks and turnovers against SUU does not seem ideal. Yeah. You know, I would just say, was it the biggest concerns? Yeah. Right? It's just pressure because when you, like, the best way to describe it is, at least from a running back standpoint, is think about it like this. If the defensive line is just torching you guys, right, no matter what you do, it, rather whether it's a run 
play, a pass play, a reverse play, whatever the play is, a flea flicker, whatever it is. If the defensive line dominates, you're going to struggle. But if they don't, a good example is, you know, you look at the offensive line and what they did against uh, Southern Utah, right? There wasn't a lot of pressure at all. And so Oregon State could pick them apart and kind of pick apart Southern Utah, not only in the pass game, but they can pick apart in the run game. That's why Jamar Jefferson comes up with 230 plus yards and AP has over 100 yards too, right? And so my biggest concern with the defense is if the defensive line can't step up even against the FCS school, then, you know, I'm losing, I'm starting, you know, I'm losing more confidence that they're going to at least improve this season because it only, I don't want to say it only gets harder from here, but you played the hardest team right in Ohio State. Then you kind of took a big step back playing Southern Utah. But then you look and, you know, now you're getting ready for a conference. You're getting ready for Nevada, who has 21 returning starters. And, you know, Nevada put 77 or 72, whatever they put on, on Portland State, who Oregon State struggled with last season, right? And so, uh, you know, obviously they have some sort of offense. And so if it's in the pass game, Oregon State has to get pressure on that quarterback or he's going to pick him apart. And so that's my biggest concern is just the defensive line has to step up. And I'm going to say if they don't, well, you know, Oregon State's not going to win a lot of games. Yeah. Angie, I have one for both of us, I guess. Um, This is from that Jason Young. Appreciate him, by the way. Uh, Which position coach is making the biggest difference so far? Oh, I got it. This one I don't even have to think about. It's Coach Mahalachek on the O line. Absolutely. Those those guys seriously, um, night and day difference. And you know, we even you know we have a trench report um, that we just released yesterday on Beaver Blitz. And Peter Riley Osborne, former offensive lineman, played at Willamette under uh, Coach Speckman, so knows his stuff, knows what he wants to look for. He actually sits down and watches every offensive play, pauses, watches, grades every lineman, every offensive snap gives us a trench report last year we we he did the first five games and every one was grading out to a d minus he finally was like okay dude i'm done i can't do this anymore um he just graded this last week's game graded out to a c so um he's in basically the same group minus fred lawina so um what coach mahalachek has done um just in the short of time transforming these guys and the run blocking and everything else is, is unreal it is impressive because, like you said, the only person they really lost is Freddie. And the the offensive line looked great in this last game, right? I, there's There were some times that I think Oregon, I think Connor got sacked maybe once. I can't even remember. Yeah, but, he was sacked once. Yeah, and even though he got sacked one time, it's not it, – he had he he held the ball too long, right? Yeah, the offensive yeah. line did great. Like they gave him a solid three or four seconds, which as especially as a running back, I was like, damn, I haven't seen that in a long time. Because, you know, last season what it was, and this is no bash to the offensive line, those guys, I think they did everything right. We just didn't scheme right. The blocking scheme was off. Um, but as a running back, I was instantly picking up somebody. As soon as the ball was snapped, I had to go pick up somebody because, you know, the offensive line got beat or, you know, the offensive coordinator didn't scheme it outright or whatever that was. But, you know, Oregon State just did some basic stuff with their blocking scheme against Southern Utah, and they gave, you know, Connor plenty of time. And he only did get sacked once, so that's not bad. And even I think they even did a great job against Ohio State, who has arguably a top-five defensive line. So yeah, he, def- yeah. I think he definitely makes the biggest difference, at least so far. But, so far, exactly. Yeah. And you know what? I will say I, I think I've been a little critical of Coach Henson, the, the wide receiver mm-hmm. coach, but to see 
the improvement in the in the receivers, just like I said earlier, uh, with the blocking game especially, that's I, I see toughness with those guys that I did not see last year. Yeah, and they're just aggressive. You know, they're just yeah. like – and you could look at it anyway. I think AP looks as, as good as he's looked in forever. I mean, I knew AP was going to be a great running back, but now that we finally get to see him in full swing as like the main guy – it's just crazy, right? And you get yeah. you just finally get to see what AP can do. And Coach Petrie, especially watching the running back drills, I was like, geez, some of those drills, like, there's no chance. I don't think I could have done them. And I have a lot of confidence when I play football. But I was like, this guy is getting these guys smart, not only smart, football smart, but understanding what moves to use at a certain time and not have to think about it. And I think yeah. that that is huge. Um, Angie, I have a question from Damn Nation. They said, how much longer do we think we will see multiple QBs play? I hope not a long time. <laughs> Me too. I'm I do too, not. but they're, you know, and part of it's gamesmanship. Coach Smith doesn't want to show his hand. Um, but again, this week on the depth chart, it is listed as Jake Luton or Connor Blount. Yeah. I just think what we've seen um, from Connor, I, I think he's earned the starting spot. And I know, I know it sucks for Jake. He got uh, the concussion in the first series against Ohio State. But at the same time, that's football. You know, you get yeah. injured, the next guy up. And if that next guy up plays well enough to get a spot, I mean, you've seen it in your career. So, yeah. Um, I mean, it just and, happens. And it's the way it goes. It's just the way it goes, right? And and it'd be one thing if Connor struggled. But Connor's been I, – I feel Connor leads this offense very strongly. So, um, But then again, I've said all along that I thought he was the better choice and yeah. nothing against Jake. Um, I just like what he brings to the table as far as – not necessarily being quote mobile, but he can move if need be. Um, and it gives you that 11 versus 11 versus people knowing that Jake's not gonna, going to run. So then it's an 11 versus 10. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, and I got to play against, I mean, I, I got to play with Sean Manning, excuse me. And I think the biggest difference that, I mean, that you really see with, you know, when you have someone like Sean, we all know Sean's a great quarterback, right? He had a great arm. Wrong. He said, yeah. yeah, he set all these records in the Pac 12. But what did the defenses do when they started to figure him out his senior season? They just dropped more people because they knew he was not going to run, right? And exactly. so you either bring pressure, right, and make him uncomfortable so he just has to go down or, you know, you just drop <laughs> you drop eight so he can't do anything, right? And so and I think that's a lot of the time what will happen. And like you said, it just keeps the defense honest when you have someone who can at least scramble to get a first down. I know Southern Utah, um, I know they dropped – I think they, I don't, I know they were in some zone and they dropped a bunch of people. And what did Connor do? He was like, all right, then. And he just took off running, oh, that, right? And he got a first down. I could have run through that hole. Yeah, exactly. That's how, how huge it was. <laughs> right. And, and so I think that it just keeps the defense honest and it makes it that much harder for a defensive coordinator because he's like, okay, well, he always has in the back of his mind, okay, but what if the quarterback tucks and runs, right? What if the yeah. quarterback tucks and runs? So you have to have a guy on the quarterback now. You have to have, you have to have someone manned up on him. It just makes it that much harder, and you know, like you said, it just makes it as you know, eleven on eleven instead of ten on eleven. Um, Angie, I have uh, a question. This is more towards you. Again, it's Jason Young saying, "How did Saturday's game affect recruiting?" Because I think that's huge. Yeah, no, I think um, several. You know, we've been catching up. There were tons of unofficial visits. Um, there, all the in-state kids were there. Um, 2019, 2020, 2021 huge group of, of recruits. We had a huge list in the lodge and Adam and Lucas are working on catching up with a lot of those guys. I'm working to catch up with some of them. Several commits were there. So, you know, as far as what they saw on the field, huge, right? I mean, if you're an offensive player, you're like, 
dang, I want to be a part of that. If you're a defensive player, you're like, dang, I can go help them right now. So, um, you know, two kind of thoughts there. But then also the atmosphere. And like I said, it wasn't a sold-out racer. It wasn't, um, you know, maybe as exciting as we've seen in the past, but the atmosphere was there, you know, especially in that first half. So um, it did nothing to hurt it. Now, if there would have been, you know, 20,000 and it was quiet, and uh, it would have hurt. But, um, you know, those guys were being toured around campus and were able to see all the tailgates everywhere and the orange and black tents. And um, it's just, it's all part of that game day atmosphere experience that helps sell the program. Yes. Oh, I mean, you could, I was going to say, you can answer that better than I can. Angie, this is, uh, I like this question a lot. This is from sports nut. David, he said, I feel as amazing as yesterday, as in, you know, obviously Saturday's game was that Nevada will have a lot to exploit. What do you see as a weakness heading into Reno? Angie, I'll let you go first. I, you know, it it just goes right back to defense. I, I worry about Oregon state's defensive line and getting pressure on, on their quarterback. Yeah, and I, that it it all breaks it it all goes back to that. Yeah, and I think when you know whenever you answer a question like or whenever someone asks a question like this to us now, it's I think it's going to be the same answer every time, and it's just a defensive line because you know I think a lot of the time around the country you see defensive lines that have great games. Sometimes they don't have great games. You know, sometimes they have average games. But I think for Oregon State, you've seen them perform less than great or less than par, actually, every single game for quite some time, right? And so I think every single game this season, whether you know Oregon State wins or loses, it's going to be based on the defensive line because the offense is going to put up their points. We we see that now, that they have a great rhythm. Every once in a while they might have you know a little wrinkle and or they don't look as good against a certain opponent, whatever that is that happens in college football. But it's just the defensive line is consistently not produced. And so until they consistently produce, I'm going to say every single week, the defensive line is the biggest thing that teams are going to notice. And so they're either going to run a lot and, or they're just going to, you know, sit back and bomb the ball all the time because the quarterback doesn't have any pressure. Well, that's, and that's part of it, you know, and we can talk all about the, the defense as a whole, not being strong, but it starts up front because if there's no pressure being put onto the quarterback, um, then it just puts extra pressure on the linebackers and DBs. Yeah, definitely. Because And a good way to look at it is if, say, you know, the defense or the, the linebackers and the defensive backs are doing a great job in coverage, right, but the defensive line can't get any pressure, eventually someone's going to be open because they teach you, you know, if if the play doesn't work out and you're covered, what do you do? You start running around the field until you get open, right? And you run towards <laughs> towards the quarterback. You run away from the quarterback, right? And so then it's like it's like schoolyard football. Yeah, it's schoolyard football. Yeah, and it makes it that much harder for a defensive back or a linebacker because obviously you don't know where the receiver is going to go, and the receiver knows exactly what he wants to do. So a good example, like I said, is that it's backyard football because I know when that happened to me, I was like, oh, okay, that's easy, right? So I'm gonna run towards the quarterback, then I'm gonna turn around, play on my foot, and just take off as fast as I can, and the quarterback's gonna lead me, and then. You know, I'm going to get a big gain. And we see that happen so often. And that only happens when the defensive line can't get pressure. And so, you know, like I said, <laughs> that's the biggest thing for me. Angie, another question that I had is um, this is from Paul J. Eakin. I don't want to root. I don't want to butcher. I'm sorry. Any noticeable changes to the game experience at Research Stadium with the improvements they have made? I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? Any noticeable changes to the game experience at Research Stadium? Okay, okay. 
Yeah. Well, besides the fact that now they're serving beer and, and wine ex- everywhere but the press box. Come on. <laughs> Come on, people. A nice yeah. cold beer might be really nice. Yeah, um, anyway, nice. so, um, you know, I've heard so many things. You know, as far as the press box, there were no changes. But um, lots of, of talk about, um, you know, the concessions, new food options, and then, of course, the beer and wine. So what I've heard from a ton of people is the fact that lines are shorter if you go to the little kiosks not at the actual concession stands. I, w- I don't know about you, Marcus, and I don't eat at the concession stands, but I've, I've been reading a ton about just game day experiences all around the country, you know, Texas or some of the pro stadiums. And I would love to see Oregon State adapt to, you know, doing less, you know, lower price options. They get more people to buy stuff if they don't have to pay, you know, $8 for popcorn. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, that's just me. But um, I think that just added to game day ex- the game day environment because people weren't leaving to go out and tailgate. They could go and and have a beer and sit in the stands and um, enjoy the game. Yeah, I guess it's probably a good thing that, you know, the concessions aren't super cheap because if they were, I would, uh, I would be pretty overweight. I'm not going to lie because if you think about it, if it's like a dollar, if it's like a dollar for popcorn, I'm dropping $20 for popcorn. Easy. Um, Angie, do you have any more questions? I don't. I some good ones though. I thought... Ah, okay. Last question. I really like this one. It's from Eric Farms. He said, did Utah expose the defense in the second half or did the players and coach uh, players and coaches dial it back? And like you said, um, when you, you know, in key press conference, he basically said that they kept it super vanilla and used the same six plays. So um, I don't think Utah exposed them at all. What I did think is they just kept it basic because, you know, Nevada is going to be a competitive game. And so, Obviously, either team can come out on top. Then it comes down to scheme. You're going to have to open the playbook. If you're offense, you're going to have to open the playbook more. If you're defense, you're going to have to open the playbook more, and everyone's going to, be going to have to be sharp in order to win. But that's just my take on it. I don't know if it's yeah, the same I, thing for you, Angie. Yeah, I mean, that's – you know, I, I go back and forth. I mean, everybody knows that, um, you know, things are going to be vanilla. So, you know, of course, I'm, if you're Nevada, you're probably scheming for – um, you know, Oregon State to be doing some different things, but at least you don't have the look immediately. So, um, mm-hmm. like I said, do they need to improve? Yes, but I do see um, against Nevada, we're going to see a lot more, you know, blitzes, some disguise, some disguises, some stunts. We're going to see some of that. Um, we, I think we're going to have to. Yeah. Angie, I also wanted to get your prediction before this podcast is over of the game this Saturday. Oh my gosh. Okay. So Beaver fans aren't going to be happy with me. I'm going with Nevada in a close one. 42-35, the home team wins. I think, ooh, see, it's hard because I don't want to hop on this hype yet. I want to see Oregon State, you know, they're going to have ups and downs. It's a young team. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to say Nevada 31-27. to I think it's a close game, but I think with AP out, you know, Jamar's going to have a great game still. I think the offense still puts up a decent amount of points, but the defensive line has to figure it out. And since they haven't figured it out yet and they couldn't against Southern Utah, I don't have a lot of confidence in, at least in them going into this game. So, yeah, I'm going to have to take Nevada on this one. But, I I mean, again, we we see a lot of growth. Yes, and, um, you know, like we said, we're not expecting 10 wins or a bowl game, even a bowl game. But – I mean, I think I think I went three three wins this year was my prediction. Yeah, and you know, maybe I, I want them to prove me wrong. Don't get me wrong; players have been yeah. proving me wrong left and right so far in the off season, or 
the offseason and they so far in the season, and I really like it. Keep it coming, please. You know, I'll swallow my pride any day to watch Oregon State win. But, um, you know, like I said, the defensive line, until they improve, I don't think we see a lot of improvement, at least defensively. I completely agree. All right, Angie, you have anything else for us? No, I can't wait. Thanks for all the good questions. I do have one question I'm going to table for next week because I think it's a good one um, to get into, but we will do that next week and just want to thank everyone for listening. Perfect. Everyone, again, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Dan Podcast with your host Marcus Greaves and Angie Machado.